The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Smelzer, and thank you again for joining us on the AI Today podcast. We are well into five years, 300 plus episodes of the AI Today podcast. Now, many of you already know that because you're listening to our glossary series, which we've been going through all the terms that you need to know about for artificial intelligence, advanced analytics, even some automation terms, and there's a lot to cover. And we cover it all, so you should definitely stay tuned. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, go back. We go back uh, many years to to cover those areas. Uh, But of course, the other great thing about the AI Today podcast is we like to break it up a bit. We have some interviews with some people who are implementing AI, advanced analytics, big data, cloud, all these technologies that are so important in the modern enterprise, and you're all... The modern enterprise. This is the year 2023, so <laughs> it's modern. And uh, on that note, you know, we're really thrilled because we have a great guest for you on uh, today's podcast. Yeah, we're so excited to have with us Justin Emerson, who is Flashblade Technical Evangelist at Peer Storage. And Peer Storage is also a sponsor of today's podcast. So we're really excited to have Justin here with us today. So welcome and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your role at Pure Storage and maybe what that is if our listeners aren't familiar with that company. Sure. So uh, so I'm the Flashblade Technical Evangelist. What does that mean? Um, so uh, I've been at Pure Storage for about three years. Uh, I came to Pure Storage specifically to um, to, to work with the Flashblade product. Um, Flashblade is a, a all-flash unstructured data product. Um, and one of its key focus areas is AI. Pri- prior to coming to Pure, I was very much into artificial intelligence. I, I worked at uh, Channel Partners for 12 years prior to coming to Pure, which was my first vendor. Uh, and the last uh, job I held before coming to Pure was as the um, in, uh, director for AI infrastructure solutions at a, at a partner. So um, this is very exciting for me. Uh, really enjoy the podcast. Um, and Flashblade Technical Evangelist is really just going out and talking to people, talking to customers, talking to uh, media about how awesome Flashblade is. So I like to joke, I have a pretty easy job. Well, maybe let's start by that, because I know that maybe not too many people might be familiar with Pure Storage or Flashblade. So might as well, before we get into all the the deeper conversation, let's maybe a quick overview of what that is and why people should care. Sure. So so, uh, Pure Storage is a uh, data management storage and cloud company. Um, we have uh, been on, you know, had products in the market for over ten years, um, and uh, Flashblade, which is the product that I represent, uh, has been on the market now for seven plus years. And Flashblade was really designed to handle massive unstructured data growth. Um, and one of the things causing all of that unstructured data growth is, of course, people collecting data so that they can use it to train artificial intelligence. Um, but we do lots of other things. Um, but you know, in the context of the, of your audience, um, you know, we see that uh, data is the most important resource when it comes to building uh, AI algorithms uh, or or performing advanced analytics or all of these things are data centric operations. 
And so uh, pure storage being a, you know, a storage and data focused company, um, these are key uh, areas of focus for us, uh, not just in terms of um, at a, you know, an alliance and a market level, but also at a customer level, right? We are very interested in helping customers solve for these problems. And, and we actually use AI and analytics and so forth within our own products as well, especially in our, our uh, AI operations and automatic uh, or autonomic uh, signature, ver- you know, checking for, you know, issues and logs and all sorts of other fun stuff like that. So, yeah, that's really very important. We actually have been talking a lot about that, uh, not only in part of our glossary series and all this sort of stuff about the, obviously the core and the key of AI is data, mainly because we're trying to extract more value from data, whether it's recognition or conversation, or now, of course, everybody's talking about generation, mm-hmm. <laughs> but so much of that depends on having a good amount of good quality data, relevant data that may may need to be tagged or labeled in the case of certain situations and other sorts of aspects. And people may or may not be thinking about sort of the storage components of AI and analytics and those advanced systems. And so maybe you could talk a little about sort of how important storage is on the general scheme of things for uh, you know AI and advanced analytics and how organizations can can do a better job of uh, data storage and data management as part of their AI efforts. Sure. Um, so if we think about um, what has caused AI to become so big in the last 10 years, um, it, it's not the, the concepts behind deep learning and neural networks and all these things are, are not necessarily new concepts, right? Some of them date back to like the 1950s. The, the difference is, is that we have uh, a tremendous amount of computing resources that we can throw at the problem now. We have a tremendous amount of algorithmic expertise and advancement that's happened over the past decade and a half. And then lastly, is we have a lot of data. Um, we talk about what's changed in, in the world of data. And you know, 20, 30 years ago, data was really read more than it was written. We, we had a limited amount of data and we optimized for reading it. But now we're writing so much data. Why are we writing it? Because we're keeping so much stuff. We're keeping everything. And we're keeping all this because at some point we want to get value from it, as you put it, right? We want to figure out, okay, I've got all this data. What can I do with it? And the the value that you can extract from it with AI is one of the only mechanized, like industrial scale systems that we have to actually extract value from data. And so having systems which not only can collect all that data, but then also make all that data useful. Um, I like to say that if you collected all the data and you put it on tape, um, you'd, it'd be secure, you'd be protected probably, uh, unless you you know there's a, a big magnet. But you wouldn't be able to do much with it because it's just not the right kind of medium for that. And so we try to specialize in um, helping uh, organizations, researchers, customers figure out, okay, how do I operationalize and sort of industrialize this data pipeline? Because that's really the fuel that all of these AI um, algorithms are, are, are built on. And what people may not realize when they start on their AI journey is how much time is spent working with the data, labeling the data, transforming the data, all of these things that may happen before it ever enters um, a, a, a training um, framework to, to actually do any sort of uh, meaningful work on it. There's all of this 
operational stuff that happens before that. And, and that all requires a tremendous amount of storage and it requires a tremendous amount of performance. Yeah. I, I, the listeners of our podcast know that we always talk about that, right? And a lot of people want to just move forward. They want to go to that exciting part. And they're like, we're just, we're ready. We're ready to go. And we're like, okay, but like, where's your data? How are you going to access it? I mean, when you talked about tapes, I was like, oh my gosh, cringing. <laughs> Anybody that's worked with them knows the pains of it, right? And so there's trade-offs to everything though, because you're right, maybe it is secure, but then you have to access it. Is it slow? Is that really the best thing for AI projects? So when it comes to AI projects, there really is often an ongoing debate about where to train your models and then where to operationalize them as well, right? You can train mm -hmm. them in one place and then you can operationalize them in another. And these are conversations that you need to have. We always say at Cognolytica, we're like, make sure that you're having these conversations early on and ongoing in projects. So we're big advocates of CPM AI methodology, the cognitive project management for AI methodology. And you're supposed to be going through your project in the various phases of CPM AI. There's six phases. Make sure that you're understanding this because when you just move forward with projects, you know, there's different stats out there about maybe 70 to 85% of AI projects fail. And we're like, it really, it doesn't have to be this way. But if you go through with a plan, with a methodology, with a step-by-step -step approach, you'll ensure project success rather than just jumping into things. And so one of the things you do need to think about is storage, right? So is there something, uh, you know, that should be done in the cloud or on-prem? Maybe what have you seen? There's pilots in the cloud can be fine, but then sometimes ongoing production uh, mm -hmm. you know, things in the cloud can be costly. Not everybody, you know, people think, oh, well, maybe the cloud is just cheap, but depending on what you're doing in the cloud, it can get costly. So can you provide our listeners some advice on considerations regarding pilot to production and maybe cloud versus on-prem and what you've seen and, you know, some of the uh, the things that you can share with our listeners, maybe best practices or what you've seen and mm -hmm. kind of how to weigh that? Well, two observations. So, so one, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, the cloud's value is always about agility and scalability. It's not cost. Um, if you are properly scaling up and scaling down, it can be less expensive. But that would be like people thinking that owning a car to drive to work today um, is more expensive than renting a car every day. Uh, generally speaking, if you're going to use something at a constant baseline, probably makes sense to own it. And so um, while the, the cloud is really powerful at having an extremely low barrier, low cost to entry, um, and very, very agile, uh, allowing you to do things, you know, programmatically and do them at scale, um, really the 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 downside of that is is that you are essentially you know renting somebody else's infrastructure which you know may be the right call for a pilot um may be the right call for experimentation um but once you start looking at you know there, there's this big you know change in the industry where there's a lot i mean the cloud is is not going anywhere i don't want to imply that it's it, 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 it's gonna um it's going to go away, but there are people that look at workloads and are thinking about how do I bring this back on premises or how do I migrate this? And that causes so much pain uh, to so many people. Se second observation is that we talk to lots of customers who have gotten started, whether that's in the cloud, whether that's on-prem. And a lot of times the last thing they think about is storage. So usually they're thinking about storage because either they've run out 
it's not going fast enough or where it's stored isn't accessible in more than one place. They're like, this is sitting on one system and now I want to use two systems. Okay, well now what do I do with the data so it can be visible on two systems at once or or multiple systems, right? And so usually, unfortunately, this tends to be sort of a reactionary approach. Um, what we would suggest is you want to do the work in the place that makes the most sense. That may be in the cloud, um, especially for things like inference, where you may have extremely bursty um, workloads. It may be that, oh, I'm going to do all of my inference at one particular time of day or two or three times or one season. Um, or I may want to do it in a highly geographically distributed way, in which case the cloud is really great for that too. Um, but if you're going to be doing um, ongoing, consistent um, training, you, you you probably want to evaluate whether or not it makes sense to do that on-premises versus in the cloud. And there are lots of decisions that get made very early on that without realizing it may make it very difficult to make your project or your, um, your uh, workflow portable because the higher level of abstraction of service that you use, um, the more difficult it becomes to separate your workload from that abstraction. Um, you know, a, a good case is if you're running something in infrastructure as a service, well, you can just replace that with different infrastructure. But if you're using a much more rich and featureful higher level abstraction that may be sort of specific to AI workloads, that's great, but now you're sort of stuck in that ecosystem. Um, and so avoiding that ecosystem lock-in is something that really requires um, forethought and planning because otherwise you can end up in this situation where, well, I would love to make a change, but I can't um, without completely rebuilding or refactoring or re-architecting my application. And then you get this sort of momentum, this this inertia that becomes very difficult to, to move the ship in one direction or the other. Yeah, that's a real issue. The whole idea of <clears throat> vendor lock-in is does not disappear with the cloud. As a matter of fact, as you were mentioning, you if you're using one of the vendors, you know, authentication system or they're an API gateway or you know, they're a clustering <laughs> solution, even if actually some of those vendors might be using open source technology, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are not locked in. So yeah, this is, it's a really very big consideration. Also, I think a lot of organizations might be losing some of the skills they might have for internally managing their own infrastructures. They need so they need to build that. And but you do mention that sometimes the use case for how you are app applying something may determine where and how a model might be operationalized. Something we go over, by the way, in our CPMAI. And I know we've mentioned that out. Uh, acronym a million times. Fortunately, we have an intro to CPMAI course, which is free, which you can take online. So if you go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI, you can get access to this one hour course, something like that, two hours with uh, seven patterns of AI and all that. So you know a little bit more about what we're talking about here. But without going to further ado, you know, part of it might be, let's say, you know, if let's say in one situation, you might be trying to unlock your phone with your face, facial recognition. Well, you're probably not going to want to run that in the cloud because you might be unlocking your phone in airplane mode. You know, that might happen, right? <laughs> you don't want to have to be, you can't get access to your phone because the model is in the cloud. Yeah. Context um, is everything. 
Right. And the flip side, you might have a situation where you're trying to, you know, evaluate some some medical imagery data and you're not going to have that on your device. So that sort of stuff where you may be pushing that to the cloud. So there's, there's, I think that the use case really does provide a lot. And I think on AI today, we'd spend a lot of time talking about real world examples because the real world matters. And so maybe you could talk to us a little bit yourself about some of these real world situations and provide a little bit of, a, you know, a reality check to go with the stuff we're talking about that talks about how some customers are using AI and how they're, how the storage decisions that we talked about here are coming into play with their uh, AI decisions. Right. Well, I, I mentioned that we, we've, we talked to lots of customers who um, have started small and, and wanted to grow big um, and then tend to run into scaling challenges. Um, a good way to think about it, um, one of my coworkers put it is, you, you want to think that this project that I'm working on could one day change the course of my company, my organization, et cetera. Because otherwise, why, why are you working? You want it to be wildly successful. So if you want something to be wildly successful, you want to think about what happens when success hits you, <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, but if we don't plan for success, then you, then you run into challenges. So uh, I can't I, I can't name names in this case, but you know we we worked with one customer who was looking at okay, I have this in the public cloud. And it's getting more and more successful, but as it gets more and more successful, my costs scale linearly with that increase in utilization. So I'm not actually making any more money as I become more successful because my infrastructure budget just rises in correlation to how much more um, successful I am. So I'm not actually gaining any economies of scale. Um, and if you're looking at, oh, wow, you know, that's really Im impressive and, and I want to plan for that. But then I also don't want to like, if the, if it's a fad and it dies out in six months, I don't want to then, you know, be left with all this stuff. So that's a tricky, a tricky balance. Um, the other thing that I'll talk about, which, which we talk a lot about at Pure Storage is um, energy efficiency and space efficiency and green. And I think it's, it's, you know, uh, it's worth pointing out that AI, not only in terms of the compute that it generate that it requires, the compute that it consumes, but also the storage that it consumes, is a huge consumer of energy. Um, you know, we look at some of the, the these latest generative AI algorithms, and they're talking about running on tens of thousands of GPUs simultaneously. If you do the math, that's you know many megawatts of power, um, and so it really. Um, uh, behooves us to be con conscious and conscientious with how we use energy. And so Pure has been really focused on energy efficiency. And one customer, which is, uh, you know, announced in, in January of 2021 was actually Meta Facebook. Uh, and they leveraged our technology in their um, research supercluster. And, and one of the specific reasons was energy efficiency. Um, a lot of times when you get to really, really large data sets, you're talking about a tremendous amount of storage, which is going to consume a tremendous amount of power. Um, and when you think about the limiting factor for most organizations when it comes to like data center space or or rack space or whatever, it's, ac it's actually not physical space. It's almost always power. Um, if you look at some of these AI accelerators that are using you know, hundreds of watts, whether they're a GPU or, or something else, right? It, it, whatever you're using sort of as your, your AI compute engine, th the amount of energy that they use is enormous. And so you want to focus on energy efficiency, not only in that layer, but also in the storage layer. And so we talked to customers and they said, well, if I could use 
30 or 40 or 50% less power on storage, that means I could do more um, with my power budget in other places, which means I could be more effective with the power that I have and use it more uh, more judiciously, use it more wisely. Um, and so it's important to be good stewards of the, the energy resources that we have. And so that's one of the, the, the key things that we focus on as well when we talk to customers is, you know, be aware that as this stuff gets big, it's going to start getting really thirsty <laughs> as, as a, a one way of putting it. Yeah. You know, I like, we always say think big, start small and iterate often. So I like that you, you brought that up as well, where if you do want to grow and, and scale, you do need to be thinking about that, right? Like where's your end goal? Where are you now? And then how do you incrementally get there? And I think one thing that people don't think about, I, I mean, maybe in general is storage. Some, some people are like, well, I don't have that kind of data right now. I don't think that that's going to be an issue. And then also you're right, environmental impacts of that where how can you help lessen that, you know, uh, carbon footprint and, you know, be energy efficient. So it's great that you bring up those examples. Uh, I know that we're in the middle of our glossary series now, but we do have, uh, it was quite popular, our AI failure series. And we said, you can learn just as much from failures as you can from successes. And so it's kind of, you know, what to watch out for and what to be mindful of. So it's always nice to hear from others in the industry too, kind of, you know, what to watch out for, what are others in the industry doing and how can you kind of emulate that and move forward? So we do always love to hear those real world examples. And for our listeners, if they're not subscribed, you can subscribe to AI Today, get notified of all of our future upcoming episodes, as well as you can go back and look at our long library of podcasts, including the podcast series that I talked about. But whenever we have an interview, we always like to end with the final question, the same final question. And no matter how many times we've asked this, we always get different answers. And that's why I love this question so much. Some people get very philosophical. Some people get practical. Some people talk about, you know, maybe how personally their views on this. So what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? Well, there people have bandied about this term like the the fourth industrial revolution a few a few different times. Um, I like to think of it as, and I forget where I heard this first, um, but we spent all this the last hundred years, last hundred and fifty years, basically sort of building what you could think of as mechanical muscles. They're machines that would do things in the real world. They were robots that would build things, or they were cranes that would lift things. Um, and you can sort of look at the skyline of a of a major city, and you can see the change in technology. You can see that oh, that's this building was built after they were able to to lift things that tall, right? There, there's a certain point where it's like you need the strength, you need the capability of a machine to do something that you can't do by hand. And what's really exciting about AI is that it's the most um, it's the closest thing that we've gotten so far to mechanical minds in the way that we are augmenting um, or automating processes or, or operations that historically were something that you know you would have to have a person do or have a person do in isolation. And computing has for a very long time been about accelerating or augmenting what a uh, individual can do. Um, I remember the story of the of the guy who wrote Visicalc, the very first spreadsheet 
uh, saying he showed it to an accountant and his hands started shaking and he was just like, I can, I can just change, I can just change the numbers. The numbers will change. This is amazing. I don't have to do all this math anymore. And it didn't get rid of accountants. Right. But it just made what they do so much more effective. Um, and I think that AI is that next leap forward in increasing productivity, increasing capability. Um, it's going to make so many industries. It's going to disrupt so many industries. It's going to make so many things different. And if you told somebody that, you know, four, four years ago, if you told somebody that you were going to be able to go onto a search engine and just ask it questions, ask it to write code for you, ask it to do these things, people would probably not have believed you. It's moving so fast and there's so much interesting hap- interesting things happening. I, I can't even imagine where it's going to go next, but um, I do know that it's um, going to be extremely disruptive, but disrupt periods of disruption are usually, um, usually you end up with something positive coming out the other end. Um, because if something is being disrupted, it's because there's probably a better way to do something that's been discovered, that's been developed. Um, and those are always, you know, disruptive periods. They, they're not, they're not painless. Um, but um you end up with a hopefully what is a better, more productive society uh coming out the other end of it. That's always the hope. Uh, well, that's a great way. That's a great way of thinking about it. We mentioned we asked this exact same question <laughs> to all of our interviewees, and we always get different answers. You'd think that we'd hear the same ones over and over again, and we don't. So just goes to show that that's the thing about a transformative technology, which is your, what you're talking about, that it changes the way we think, changes the way we interact with each other, changes the way we work. Surely we're in that phase, just like the information revolution, the industrial revolution, even basic small things like mobile phones. You know, they they trend they they change so much of the way we act. And it's like if you were to go back in time to the 1980s or 70s where we had computers but not mobile phones, uh, and you tried to, <laughs> to do things, you'd you'd be like wondering, wait, you mean I have to actually know how to get somewhere that I don't have GPS? Oh my goodness, yeah. one of those things. It- if you look at the world's oldest map, which is this uh, this tablet that they dug up in um, uh, in in Mesopotamia, it isn't all that different from a map that you would have found in the nine in the nineteen nineties, right? And it maps didn't really truly fundamentally change until we started creating them on computers and having them accessible in real time. Um, you know, now if you showed that kind of a map where you can zoom in, zoom out, you can look at different right. types of, of data, all that, all of those things would have required different maps. A world map's not terribly useful if you're trying to get to the 10 next town over, uh, or you're trying to figure out what the directions are. Um, and so like if you showed a map from 20 from the 2020s to somebody, you know, not even um 30 years ago, uh, it would seem like magic. Um, and so if, if that's, you know, just one example of the incredible transformation that technology has made um, that people today often take for granted. Um, but uh, for those of us who are old enough to remember uh, Thomas guys in the back seat, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And then there's that famous quote, you know, like, any technology that's sophisticated enough will look like magic. Right. And that's <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke. Yep. That's Indis- right. That's- indistinguishable from magic. There you go. And um, I think people, even now, people are thinking things like chat GPT. That looks like magic. There's a certain amount of uh, 
mag magicalness to it. Uh, but of course, if you understand how it works, you know that well, it's like as magical as a parrot. But uh, but it's but it is transformative. Doesn't have to necessarily not be magic to still be impactful. So I think that's really great. Well, we could certainly go on for a while. I mean, you know, I think you know we want to thank you, Justin. You've provided a lot of really great insights to our listeners. We encourage our listeners to follow up. We have some stuff on the landing page which will drive you to some of the things we have talked about here, some of the issues we, we've covered, and of course, more details on what Pure Storage is doing and the stuff that they've been really focusing on with the storage as well as the flash blade and other things that they are doing to really optimize the AI experience as well as analytics. You could be doing analytics. You could be doing big data. All these things are part of the spectrum of what we do to get more value from the data we have. So, uh, but I just really wanted to thank you so much for sharing your insights and participating and being part of our AI Today community. Thank you so much. Really appreciate being here. And if, if you want to learn more about what Pure Storage has to offer in this area, check out purestorage.com slash AI. Yeah, perfect. And we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. So you can get that URL. But Justin, we want to thank you so much. This really was such a great conversation. We always love our podcast interviews. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As I mentioned, and Ron as well, we will have various links in the show notes, so please do make sure to check that out as well. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group. And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. Podcast.